0: Just a reminder, our best of coaching you video set is now available for your purchase. Again, thirty-two of the best videos of speakers we've ever had at Coaching You VIP live event, as well as added bonuses from our next gen coaches, a bundle of for player development from the eight of the best teachers in the world, as well as my PhD of coaching course, which I think it will really be of help. Health- to you has nothing to do with basketball as much as the art of coaching. So again go to coaching you forward slash best of coaching you hey welcome to another coaching you podcast with the coach Brendan Sir. So excited today Dan Earl the head coach of Virginia Military Institute. I almost didn't know what the hell it meant. VMI, as you know, uh, is our guest today. Welcome, Dan.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Coach. I really appreciate it. I have a ton of respect for you and, and listen often.
0: Well, thank you, and uh, I'm so excited. You know, when I was going through background with you several months ago. Uh, that uh, you were a Jersey guy, and we love to say a Jersey guy as I am, and uh, and it's amazing. Uh, you know, the just the intellect there, the toughness there—it's it's a step above the rest of the country that you and I can only agree on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I'm, I'm glad I can agree with you, and uh, my players would appreciate that. Yeah, because like, yeah. I'm always talking about Jersey toughness, and they're like, ah, whatever, coach. Yeah, you know, right. So. But there's something to it, I think. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about you were a tremendous, tremendous high school player in Jersey. And Jersey basketball, for those around the country, and we have a lot of listeners outside the country, is a very, very high caliber of high school basketball. And you had a great career. Why did you pick Penn State to go to school?
1: Yeah, great question. I, I, um, I don't know if I was a tremendous player, but I, I did okay. Score in the that many
0: points, so- you're a tremendous player.
1: <laughs> we uh yeah, we we had some really good teams. It was fun. Uh we were known as a soccer school, if you will, and kinda um became a basketball school. We were fortunate my brother played there. We played at Princeton and is now coaching at Cornell. And then we had a couple other guys. Uh Kirk Luckman went to Florida State, Malik Allen. Was younger uh, a bit, but went to Villanova and then played in the NBA for a number of years. So, so it was kind of a fun, uh, fun deal, if you will. And then when I was choosing schools, you know, I looked at a variety of different schools and took some visits and everything. But uh, Penn State was just appealing to me on a variety of different um, fronts. But certainly, uh, Coach Parkhill, I think, did a great job coaching. You know, met the players and felt good about them and the culture of the program and. I think going back to my high school days it, it kind of resonated with me. We were just moving into the Big Ten or they had just moved into the Big Ten the year before I got to Penn State, so they were kind of building from the Atlantic Ten to the Big Ten and had a lot of vision for what we were going to do and you know the role I could play and all those good things and uh, you know it kind of just resonated with me that it helped build something and um, you know continue the, the, you know to try to get better at Penn State. Talk about Bruce Parkhill's brother, Barry,
0: being an incredible player at Virginia uh, and a great guy also. But Bruce, I know, uh, you know, talk about him as a person and as a coach
1: yeah awesome uh and i, I can say that now <laughs> so just, you know um he had usually an adjective be, be between you know yelling my name and there's a descriptive word associated with it for about a year and a half my first year and a half, so I had him for two years uh, wonderful guy, wonderful family as you mentioned Barry as well so he was old school and, uh, and tough. So, you know, I, I took my, uh, I had some tough days, if you will, what have you, but taught me so much about the game. And then just, you know, we talked about the jersey toughness, if you will, but I think I got a little tougher playing for coach as well. So, but a wonderful co- guy cared about you and coached you hard, um, but a, an ultimate competitor as well. And I really, I think that rubbed off on me as well and then uh, as you mentioned barry parkill as well he's over here at uva is in fundraising now and right. i stay in touch with them wonderful guy um if you meet both of them you know uh just if you you meet them now in person they're the most you know charming and uh come across great and uh awesome but they have a competitive streak and and as you know uh barry from my understanding it's like you know ralph sampson and then maybe barry parkill is you know vying for the second best player in Virginia's history which is saying something so he was a a great competitor from what I understand as well
0: talk about who took over for Bruce at Penn State
1: yeah uh, Jerry Dunn uh, was on staff um, so he took over so I had a, uh, it's kind of interesting, but like a six year career, uh, if you will. I, I played for, so I played for two for Bruce, then one for, uh, coach Dunn. And then I redshirted twice for, from, uh, getting injured. I hurt my back and then tore my ACL. And then I came back for a sixth year uh, and Jerry Dunn was still the head coach then. So, um, learned a lot from Jerry as well. He kind of, um, you know, took our program the new heights, if you will. We had a good uh roster with a bunch of guys that played overseas, and then Calvin Booth was a guy that played in the NBA. Yeah. So we had some really good players and shared the ball and uh you know had some success, uh relative success, but some success at at Penn State. So Jerry's a you know great mentor as well. And then Ed DeCellis was on staff as well. Um and as you roll forward, I ended up coaching under Ed for 10 years, and he's been uh instrumental in my you know coaching uh, career if you will as well
0: did ed uh take took over at penn state after jerry right
1: yeah uh yes um so ed we had a good year. My junior year went to the NCAA tournament um, and we were, we were like a five. So you got that, that, uh, unfortunately five twelve got upset by Arkansas. That was my junior year, maybe 96. Um, and then Ed, uh, got the head job at East Tennessee state ETSU. Oh, right. So he went there for a number of years and then, uh, it flipped from Jerry to Ed, uh, maybe, I don't know, eight years later or something like that. The early two thousands.
0: Wow. Okay. Now, did you uh, then go and work with him at Penn State? Or had that show me your coaching career on that?
1: Had yeah, that... yeah, it's um, you know kind of an interesting little tidbit to it. But I, so I, after I was done playing, I, I played for about six years, uh, bounced around overseas, had some tryouts in the NBA um you know, I, I never i never cut, i release.
0: never cut you though right i didn't no I, no I you thank did God, not no, byron scott
1: it. did uh with that <laughs> so in fact and the, you know it's a life lesson you learn at whatever i was 24 years old or 25 years old first time you kind of you're usually a big part of things and then you have that conversation which i'm sure you've yeah. been a part of uh unfortunately yes. not yeah not fun for anybody certainly not for the the person being cut if you will so uh but that was a great life lesson at the time but uh so then when I was done playing I was looking to get into coaching and it's funny how it works and um but I I was gonna go be a division three assistant for Chris Caridio um who's now at Widener College uh, does a heck of a job and uh, South Jersey guy actually so I was ready to take that but I was in conversations with him saying uh Another buddy of mine, Chris Mooney, who's the head coach at Richmond, you, you probably know, uh, know well. Yep. Um, he's part of that Princeton family, if you will. Uh, will. My brother, again, played at Princeton. Chris was a little bit older, but he was he just got the Richmond job and was like, hey, we probably have a spot as a DBO or uh, you know, video guy or whatever it may be. So I was kind of hanging on for that. And right before I was going to take the the job at the Merchant Marine Academy, actually, <laughs> well, Chris Crudio was there. A um, couple of days before, uh, Moon Chris Mooney said, "Hey, I got a spot for you." So I kind of headed down there, and maybe five days after that, uh, Ed DeCellis had uh, been at Penn State for two years and called me up and said, "Hey, uh, you want to interview for a an assistant spot in the Big Ten. So um, again, not that uh, you know it matters level really. I mean, you just want to be coaching, right, and helping young players and everything, but. From a, you know, the way people, some people may look at coaching. I go from an assistant D3 coach to a DBO or what have you in the A-10 to uh, the Big Ten as an assistant, you know, on the floor within the span of, I don't know, two weeks, something like that. So it was was a crazy start. (laughs) So it's easy to move up in the college
0: game. That's what you're telling us. Yeah, Yeah, right.
1: Well, uh, there's other sides to this story, too. (laughs) You know, so as you fast forward, uh, I've seen the other side where uh, we're in the Big Ten and again. I hope listeners are not thinking that this is, it doesn't matter the level, right? You just right. want to be coaching and, and with good people and everything, but we're in the big 10 and Ed to And this is fast forwarding uh, maybe 10 years later, eight years later, decides to go take the job, at the Naval Academy, which again, on paper is a different level, the Patriot league. So, um, and I ended up going with him there. So I've kind of seen from the, you know, quote unquote ladder. I've kind of, you know, done it both ways, if you will.
0: Now, uh, when I remember when Ed did that, I remember, you know, I, I probably was in the NBA, but I remember when Ed went from Penn State to Navy and I said, what the hell did he do that for? Except I think they gave him a 10 year deal, right? At Navy.
1: They gave him, yeah, a number of years. A um, lot. Absolutely. You know, or,
0: you know, and, and I said, you know, well, I guess, you know, he just wanted that security and stuff. And I know he's a heck of a good coach but tell yeah great me, coach yeah so tell me what it was like going from penn state to naval academy for you
1: yeah you know what it, it was awesome in a million ways as well now i'm proud of my alma mater and love penn state as well and you know situationally it just ended up being the best thing for ed uh, number one and then you know i had some thinking to do what have you and i ended up going with them but uh it was great You you see the game on a little bit different level you know so there's Positives and negatives with that, you know, you might not be walking into Michigan State with, you know, (laughs) twenty-one thousand people uh, or whatever the number is. Um, So it's a little bit different level. But you're 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 coaching and recruiting great young men. And to be honest with you, when I first went to the Naval Academy, how naive I was! I didn't know that a you know military school. You know, I knew what the Army, Navy, Air Force, uh, VMI, Citadel, that kind of thing. But I didn't know if uh just to be real if kids would be have like you know war pain on their faces and crawling under things like when I walked on campus or whatever <laughs> I didn't know what it was all about. I didn't realize that it was uh you know as much as just a school like anywhere else now there's a military component to it certainly um and there's some extra things that the guys go through um but it was an awesome experience because um, it, you know, you're dealing with great, high character young men, um, and people at the Naval Academy that everybody is going on to serve their country, which is an awesome thing. And, uh, and then it allowed me to continue to coach. And I think, you know as i look at ed DeCellis, he's a, a wonderful coach uh, runs a great program but i was really fortunate because he allowed me to grow as a coach as well and i'm i try to do my best at that to give the assistants a lot of uh, you know autonomy to do things and have a voice and ed was great in that way with my career development
0: did what did ed, you know a lot of coaches do that uh, or or should do that more but did ed let you handle one a side of the ball
1: yeah, you know, in different years, different um, different duties, if you will, yeah. um, we had a great staff at, at Penn State as well, Kurt Kanasky, who's been in it yep. a while, he was a veteran guy, um, we have a guy, Hil- Hillary Scott, um, a variety of different coaches, but a really good guy, so it depended on our staff dynamic, and then um, some of us went to the Navy with Ed, but as I, you know, develop my voice more and everything, you know, the offensive side of the ball, I dealt with more, um, but just different duties, right? And, I, you know, just for the people that are listening that are coaches and everything, I, I sometimes talk to my staff now and I'll say, I remember going in after, I don't know, I was with coach for 10 years and after year seven or eight, I was like, hey, coach do you mind if I take over scheduling? And he goes, you don't want to do scheduling. (laughs) And I go, I I don't think I want to either, but I want to have that experience. Just what it's like, not that it's rocket science, but you know, how do you negotiate and go back and forth and make the contacts and do all the stuff? Um, So it was something that he just said, okay, if you want to do it, you know, and I had a bunch of other responsibilities, but just so I could kind of check that off and know what it entails. So, you know, I would say to, you know, some people try to, you know, expand your role if you can. Um, but the other thing you, you mentioned, so I was on the offensive side of the ball a little bit more, but just the, the, which I thought was awesome of Ed. Um, he's a great coach, but just the ability to, you know, to be able to really like stop practice as an assistant and say something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a, you know, there's a lot to coaching, but you develop a better voice the more you go along. And you have to be, you know, all the things, right? Again, not rocket science, not the hardest thing in the world, but you develop a voice and you have to be concise and you have to be, have some confidence behind you and direct and get your point across and all those things. So I'm very grateful to, to Ed that he allowed me to do those those types of things.
0: I think that that's wonderful, and uh, the scheduling part of it is a really important part. I think in you know recruiting, obviously, is the most important thing, probably in college coaching outside of coaching. Uh, but I think scheduling might be right up there because if you you can schedule yourself into getting fired too, right? I mean, you know,
1: very easily. <laughs> very well said. Yeah, and I, and you know, and it could be scheduling, or even if it's something you know, whether it's academics or sure. this or that, um, just to. Because as you become a head coach right now, you're, you know, kind of overseeing everything and you want to make sure you know what goes on in each kind of facet of your of your program. So um, so I was, it, it was great that he gave me a variety of different responsibilities in a variety of different areas, whether it's budget or academics or whatever it might be, but, uh, but well said about scheduling. It, it matters, <laughs> as you know.
0: After this time out, uh, we're going to come back and continue with Dan Earl. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at Ball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right, mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Fast Model Sports is the world's most comprehensive, versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software fast draw fast draw bridges the gap between whiteboarding in the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on both your computer and ipad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database it doesn't stop there along with fast draw they have other great programs such as fast scout which helps coaches create clean professional scouting reports customized for your team fast model is trusted and used by all mba and WNBA teams, 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills on their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com. Or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. We're back with Dan Earl from VMI. Uh, Yeah, one of the scheduling things that Donnie Jones and I inherited at Stetson is we had to go to play at VMI this year. So I didn't make that game, Donnie. I did not. It was inherited. So, (laughs) you know, and, 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 uh, and you proceeded to paced us badly uh you know uh i'm gonna fast forward a second to uh vmi you you, you i think wait, did you finish up the second uh highest three-point shooting team in the country this year
1: yeah i think we did finish second with uh to north florida attempts, i think or, really
0: yeah. in a, in north florida you know uh it's amazing how, how many made they makes they had a game and but i thought uh I thought in the game that we played uh, that you made about forty three three pointers. <laughs> I, I, I think it might have only been 18 or 22, but my God, I've never seen a team make make more threes. And every time you made one, Donnie would turn and tell me it was my defense. <laughs> it
1: was, it was, Absolutely. I've been in that chair as yeah, well. Yeah. I, I right.
0: said, I don't think this is my scout. But I didn't, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that was impressive. Uh, talk about uh, going. Uh, from Navy to VMI what what was the attraction for you
1: yeah yeah I mean you know a variety of different things but uh, you know I guess it starts with it was a chance to be a head coach right and uh, I think a lot of us that are in coaching there's so many great things about being a coach in general but when you can run your own program and do some of the ideas that you have and uh, it's it's appealing, right? And then the thing about VMI was, I was at the Naval Academy for maybe four years or five, but I have to think back or whatever, but um, I had a great experience with the young men, and VMI was appealing because you can recruit high-character kids as well. Um, and, uh, you know, while we're trying to be super competitive in basketball, um, you know, it's nice to deal with high-character kids and guys that want to go move forward and get a great education and go on and do great things with their lives. Um, and, you know, in some ways, you know, I, I know we all have different backgrounds and everything and you have to relate to everybody, but, um, it, you know, I struggle dealing with knuckleheads on the whole, if you will, um, you know, and, and certainly a, a bunch of them. And if you're a knucklehead, uh, it's going to be tough to figure it out at VMI as well. So um, again, not that d- different kids don't have different backgrounds, but it's we're really fortunate that we we appeal to a um, high character, uh, good, disciplined uh, Type kid, and that was kind of appealing to me as well.
0: Dan, let, let's talk about for you know, again, we have listeners from uh, usually over 50 countries on our, our podcasts and all over the country in high school, college, and pro coaches. But talk about VMI, uh, the size of the school, uh, the academic requirements, you know, the enrollment, uh, the diversity in enrollment, etc. Not, not as far as uh, just as far as you know, different what the cadets. With a K, uh, with their uh, you know the size of the student body, I mean that type of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's a small school. I want to say the smallest, maybe second smallest in Division One. We have about you know sixteen to seventeen hundred kids, um, um, you know, on the whole uh, every year. So um, it's it's very difficult academically, um, you know. So we have a rigorous uh, courses, take more credits than a lot of schools um, to accomplish your major, and then. Um, you know, the, the, there's some extra things on your plate here uh, at VMI. You have, you know, most schools, you have the basketball side of things, and then you have the academic side of things. Sure. Um, And then here, it's kind of a a third uh, leg to the stool, if you will, where you have the military component. Um, So you're balancing that out with your day. Now, there's still time to get in the gym and work on your game and do all these things, but you have to be even more structured with your day, if you will. So, you know, some of the things that our kids do is, you know, you have to look sharp, right? So you have to be clean shaven. You have to have a sharp looking haircut. Everyone wears a uniform Um, you have formation in the morning, uh, which, you know, sounds like a huge deal, but it's really just taking attendance and then you, uh, march down to breakfast. Uh, everyone eats breakfast at the same time. Uh, everyone eats dinner at the same time, uh, unless you're in season kind of thing. So, so there's some extra things. And, and again, it's awesome, um, in a million different ways. Um, you know, from a coaching perspective, you have some different challenges, if you will. Um, you know, at some schools, you're worried about, Your kids uh, making some poor decisions if they're out at a bar or this or that or whatever we have and knock on wood, but a little bit less of that. but, uh, But we don't have to worry about our kids going to class because the school requires you to go to every class every day. Um, right. So as you're which is, again, awesome, because isn't that what we're trying to do? Get a great education. So um but it takes, as you as you know, uh coach, if you're talking to an 18 year old kid and you're explaining VMI, <laughs> it takes a mature 18 year old kid to go, hey, that's appealing. It's good to get an education rather than. Um, you know, when I was at Penn State, if you—not that I ever did this—but you could skip a class conceivably, and um, you had to go out of your way to avoid a party, if you will. So, uh, <laughs> so it's a little bit different. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've been up to Penn State, so I, uh, I, I do get that. Uh, you know, I think uh, one of the things that uh, you know, uh, which is I, I love about the military schools is the way they support their teams. I mean, you know. I'm saying to myself, you know, we our, our game, you know, there was a slight delay only in our pre-practice. I think with a fire drill. Remember, there was a fire alarm went off. I something. do remember that. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah and, and so it right. just that's went right. off, that's and so you know, uh, now I wish the game had been canceled. But uh, <laughs> you know, but and so all of a sudden, I'm saying, boy, this will be good student body will come. There'll be no cadets here. They'll be great. And all of a sudden, they come marching in during the pregame. Oh, my God. And even though it's not the size of the Naval Academy, Air Force Academy, or West Point, they are very vocal.
1: Yeah, they certainly are. It's really an awesome place to play. And, um, you know, the the cadets are required, the Corps of Cadets are required to come down on Saturday home games, so it's an even better environment then. Now you know for winning games and doing well, and we have good support. I think, and I'm proud of our guys because they kind of embrace the uh, the military aspect and and have a lot of friends on campus. So a lot of them will come down during the week as well. But. Particularly on Saturdays, as you mentioned, it's an awesome environment. They get into the games, and everyone gets a class ring their third, their uh, um, junior year, if you will. And, really? and uh, they're banging them on the railings and everything. So it's uh, it's really a fun environment. And when I was thinking about you know taking the job and going through that process, Ed DeCellis had been at ETSU. So he kind of gave me a heads up on, you know, said one of the best things is the the home court um, environment, and, and that's proven to be true.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's talk about basketball now. Uh, talk about your style of play and why you brought it there and then uh how it's been effective
1: yeah um you know obviously great question uh so so when i came to vmi you know our style wise we do as you mentioned earlier shoot a lot of threes um and, uh, and we try to move the ball, you know, our assist to turnover yeah. ratio or assist per game were really high in the country as well. And that process has t- taken a little while to get to where we're at as far as at least the metrics. Now, we have a ton of work to do, Coach. As you know, we haven't won as many games as we'd like, but we're kind of forming our identity more and more. And I think that, uh, that matters and, and it takes time, right? And sure. I guess if I can back up, inheriting the program, I, I took over Duggar Balkum, um, yep. who's a tremendous coach, went on to the Citadel, who's in the Southern Conference, which is kind of interesting as well. But it, it was a, almost like an extreme of one end, right? He played ultra fast. Um, they, they too shot a lot of threes. So it wasn't extreme from that standpoint, but played ultra fast on both sides of the ball, uh, offensively pushed it very fast and defensively pressed at some years. I think they pressed a tremendous amount after misses, after makes, that kind of thing. So right. when I first got here, um, you know, I was talking about some different things, whatever, and some of our guys were going, wait a second, uh, my average is going to go from, you know, whatever, 20 to 18 or something? What, what's <laughs> going on here? You know, so so the transition took a little while. And I do have to say this, though, that that that's nothing again. I think Coach Balkum does a tremendous sure. job and is a genius in many ways because his style is different right? Um, And I think when you're at some schools where you may not be able to get the same level of talent, relatively speaking, to the rest of the league, you have to be different. Um, So I give him a ton of credit. I wasn't willing to do that, um, you know, totally. um, But I I try to play a little bit different style as well. Um, And I think it's, you know twofold one is that's the way i see the game uh, myself and and then i think you have to look within your league and what can you do within your league relative to your opponents um and then the things that have, people i've been around over the years um i mentioned my brother once or twice and sure. uh the princeton connections and the way they see things so we play somewhat of that princeton ish style if you will um ball movement bringing your center away from the rim opening it up for cutters um so a lot of different influences on the way kind of we see the game here
0: i i know i thought there was a great princeton style and i and i and i talk when i talk to mitch henderson or any of the guys that have coached there chris mooney or joe scott you know uh you know the way they you know they played the a game that's how unselfish it is all five players are involved a lot of ball movement a lot of cutting a lot of and and i i think you know it's a great way to play uh And I think it it really develops teamwork and stuff, so I thought it would, you know you do you and when we played Lipscomb in our league you know uh Lenny Aikoff is a, you know also you know kind of cut from the same cloth as far as yep. ball, you know uh it, it's a great great style uh and stuff like that so did you pick that up watching more your your brother and his friends and all play at Princeton or did that just evolve yourself?
1: Yeah, you know, great great question. Yes, certainly uh, picked up a lot of it from watching them play. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it's interesting. The Princeton offense, if you will, sure. and you can kind of dissect it all, uh, but – back in the day with the shot clock or not having a shot clock, you know, I think there, some people think that's ah, holding the ball for a while and playing slow. Um, and I know, you know, all this, but it, it's really evolved to where it's more just kind of a read and react offense with, as you said, ball movement, player movement, cuts, spacing shooters. When you're at your best, you have five guys on the floor that can shoot. Um, and then tweaking, you know, so, so I like that style. I, I played somewhat of a kind of, you know, in high school or college at times, like a read and react. You need guys that are skilled, right? That can dribble, pass and shoot. And I know some people are saying, Hey, who doesn't want that? But we may have to give up a little athleticism or some other, like the strongest guy possible to get guys here at VMI that are skilled. Um, and then you need guys that can see and or learn. Um, and that's really big is like, hey, w- w- what do you see as you're playing? Um, so um, it's funny you mentioned Lenny Acuff, too. I've gotten to become uh, pretty good friends with him. Uh, we had a, a, you know, a guy on staff, uh, Coach uh, Kevin Carroll, who sure. spent two years with me here. The past two years is a great coach. And I just have the utmost respect for him and and Coach Acuff. And uh, so I bend his ear as well. So it's a little bit of what I've always wanted to do, a little bit of spending time Time with these coaches, the Princeton guys, Lenny Acuff, those kind of guys. And then a little bit of just tweaking um, as you go forward. And I think you always have to tweak what you're doing based upon who you have. Um, so so it's uh, kind of a hodgepodge of, of all those things.
0: Well, you know, I think the biggest thing is, uh, you know, as I've told Mitch Anderson and others, uh, you know, that um, you know, we had a great podcast with, you know, head coach of Princeton now, is that, you know, this so many of the concepts uh, we've borrowed in the NBA, uh, those you know chin cuts, uh, yep. we we call it chin fifteen, which is the middle ball screen after the chin cut, uh, that you know your friend Byron Scott you know used when he was coaching uh, uh, the Nets and all, and uh, and then when uh, you know the grandfather. Pete Carrillo went to the Sacramento Kings to be with another Princeton guy, Jeff Petrie, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he influences the whole NBA, you know, by putting in, you know, basically, you know, uh, his style, but we ran it out of uh, like almost a horn set, you yep. know, with the ball pulled to the side. So we had a guard in the corner guy and the two guys up on the elbow and then we ran all the come together's things, and uh, and then you know when Lawrence Frank and uh, others were there, you know and, and, and with the Nets, you know you see Vince Carter and Jason Kidd running the Princeton offense with Kenyon Martin, and it's pretty damn good, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. And you could Absolutely. get, yeah, and you could get shots and you know, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen, seventeen seconds, you know, so it's not a slowdown offense. It's great basketball. It's great stuff. And you can kinda engineer your read, so to speak.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, very well said. And and again I think a little bit more old school because people are figuring that out. But the the traditional Princeton, people think ah it's slow down and hold the ball and all that. But as you just mentioned with the NBA stuff, I mean, when I was trying out for the Nets, I was there for two vet camps. We had you know most all those guys there: Jason Kidd, Richard Jefferson, Kenya Martin, and um, you know, and they we were doing the stuff, and you could see at first Lawrence Frank was there. Um, you could see at first they were they were some of the guys were like, wait a second, what's going on? But it's just basketball, as I would think, right? You got sure. you're constantly it's. De- decision-making. Um, spacing is huge. And then as we mentioned, uh, you know, player cuts, ball movement, all those things. And, and uh, you know, you're constantly having to make decisions and, and read. So it, it, it's one of the things you, you mentioned, Coach, and I, and I uh, would love to pick your brain sometime about dealing with, you know, higher level players. But, you know, the lesson I learned, I was in uh, Nets camp and I remember being, I'm in the back of a, a three on two, right? So somebody else is stopping the ball, I'm in the back and it's Jason Kidd coming at us with Richard Jefferson and Kenyon Martin on the side, um, on the side running the wings, and I like you know they go to stop the ball. I stunt one way a little bit, and Jay Kidd just throws it up, and whoever it was, Kenny Martin, where it comes down, you know, slams it home, and. I guess what I'm saying is I, I've always been more of a, um, you know, skill and can you see the game and can you dribble pass and shoot or whatever? Not that those guys couldn't, but when you have all that, plus you have the athleticism. Wow. Right. Cause I'm saying if I was running that wing, like, Hey, maybe I make it 50%. I got to either throw up a little floater or go under the hoop or what have you. And his is if they catch it, it's a hundred percent in, you know, so something to be said for, for dealing with those guys as no,
0: well. You know, I think the, the biggest thing is, um, uh, you can take almost any offense and you can you can take it all the way up to the pros. They just do it better because of their talent level. And then when yeah. you get a guy like Jay Kidd who is brilliant, it's like a PhD in basketball that kid has. Uh no pen intended that kid. But uh, you know, yeah. that young man had and uh, you know, they see you know, guys like Isaiah, they could just see the floor so well and uh you know, and and, and it's fun to watch. But the biggest problem I found with uh, that offense in the NBA, has been just what you said. It's about reading, and a lot of guys aren't good at reading, and a lot of coaches aren't good at teaching how to read. It sounds it's not a literacy yeah. test, I mean, but you know they, they you know it's easy to say okay, here's the play we're going to run, run the play, certainly, but rather than teach them okay, here's here's one of the things you can do now by reading it. The defense will tell you what to do, and a lot of coaches I don't think are equipped to coach that at the yeah, pro level. Yeah. Even no,
1: that's very well said, and and you know, in some ways, it's harder to do that, or it takes more time, right? So you yes, got to look at time. your, you know, yeah, the guys you're dealing with, and you know, it's so hard now with the transfer portal and everything. But there's a lot of things that go into the equation, right, um, to decide what's best for you and your program. But um, that's kind of the way I've seen the game, and we, so we try to. Um, and again, we need a lot of work on a lot of things, but we try to get guys that you, you try to see if they can see when you're recruiting them. Um, And then you, as you're playing, we do film work, certainly. And we teach as we're playing, but also just playing whether it's three on three or four on four um, to put guys in situations. And we constantly talk to our guys about be, you know, learn as well. Right. So when you first get guys sometimes, or even guys that can't figure it out fully, they'll do something and they'll cut at a certain way or a certain time, you know, it's time and distance and all that, and maybe get open. And you'll say, Hey, why did that work? You'll ask the kid and he's like, I don't know. I just cut or whatever. Well, no, you, you, why did you get open? You must have set them up enough or lean right. forward with enough and then cut hard enough or at the appropriate, you have to identify that. And I think the player, you want to do that as a coach is teach them, but the player has got to go through that at, at thousands and thousands of times. And, and, teach yourself as well right figure it out you know uh try to problem solve as to why that worked or didn't work as well
0: curious um, and i asked mitch henderson the same thing um curious when you you know i, I, I don't know uh, are you guys in a normal circumstance a normal year do you have your uh, cadets in there for um summer school
1: we do. We have uh, for summer two, right? Summer two, uh, and yeah. Then maybe summer one, one. right? Yeah, but we have,
0: them. yeah. Uh, whereas Davidson, they don't have summer school, so Bobby McKillop doesn't have any players in the summer. Yeah, which
1: Gonzaga, that's what I understand,
0: yeah. Gonzaga you, does no summer stuff, which is interesting, you know. Uh, and but my question is, uh, when you have your allotted time that we can use in the summer or in fall, uh, when you, you know you know, they come back this, they're starting school prior to, let's say, roughly October 1 start of practice. Uh, What is your preseason basketball part of your program look like?
1: Yeah, great question. So we do, you know, a variety of different things. Uh, What we try to do, regardless of the time of year, is get shots up, right? Um, Because I think you can do whatever you want, offensively, defensively, whatever. But at the end of the day, the ball's got to go in the basket, right? Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I'm kind of jumping forward to the season. But as you do practice in in the season, just the way I sit, you know, in some of the programs I've been in or what have you, you, you want to do the scout and this and that and different things. And what gets cut often is shooting, you know? So I, I think I was listening to coach Beeline at one point and saying, Hey, we make sure we get our shooting in. So preseason, you know, that's during the season. Uh, but also in the preseason, we get a lot of shots up and, and hopefully the way we uh, identify the way we get shots, you know, so whether it's driving kicks or off that chin screen or stop behinds, meaning a person dribbles at you and you stop behind. So we do, game shots for us. So we get a lot of them up. We do some of our offense, um, you know, so we put in some of the basic cuts. So the guys get used to the movement. So they'll play some there as well. Um, but then we also like, like I was saying before, we play a lot of three on three and, just do a concept like so. It's not out of the offense per se, but just like hit the high post, and as you said, those come together screens. Right. So just sprinting at each other, and then hey, how do you figure out how to footwork, timing, spacing, whatever? Pop back, catch and shoot, or whatever it might be. Um, then a ball screen comes, or where it might be, and just learn how to play out of that. And the more they can play, I think it, the better it is.
0: Dan, do you guys call it to a come together? Or you know uh, w- w- that action. Let's say if a if a guard threw the ball, let's say to the center on the side poster, yeah, and you and you and you screen at the f- guy at the forward position is is that called to come together in the Princeton offense or no? With, no, we don't
1: we don't call it any. You know they they just know that they're going to. To play with that guy the next guy in line if you will so um and then it's a read by them right so sometimes we'll call when we hit the post you know that's usually called point you know in some offenses maybe some call elbow or rub or what have you but if you hit the the center and then you have normally unless it's a drawn-up set out of a timeout or what have you but you just play basketball right so you either go over the top of the center and go play with the guy that's in the corner or you go away uh from the center and Play with the next guy in line, and then, as you know, coach. But that guy then has the option to do a variety of different things. He can back cut, he can wrap it all the way around, he can come get it off that. Um, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm uh, you know, it takes me back to listening to my brother about Coach carrill and all that stuff. But usually, as you start off, you tell guys to cut when in doubt, cut right, and you're constantly yelling that because, as you know, coach, if you don't mention cutting, that is going away from the ball everybody's coming to get it, come get it, come get it. Right? Yeah. So um, yeah. you got to slow guys down a little bit and have them cut. And and at times you get so far cutting that they have to vary it and come back and, and come get the ball or use the screen if you will. But, uh, so it's a little bit of a process there as well.
0: Do you like to, do you like to use your stuff? And and this is, it's hard to do on a podcast, but do you like to do this out of a one or two guard front? This is for our listeners
1: yeah um usually out of a uh two guard front but you end up sending a guy through um you know so it ends up being a one guard front if you if you will but we do also um as you mentioned the horn set as well so we have some calls out of that and um we will do a a, like a two uh posts if you will uh and do some different things out of that as well so a little bit of both and you know, sometimes we're calling stuff, but at the end of the day, it's on the guys, right? So I I don't like to ideally, you know, it's not like you grab a defensive rebound. They look over at me and I'm, you know, touching my shoulder and saying "shoulder to or whatever it is, yeah. um, we'd like them just to play at a transition and then keep the ball flowing. And they, you know, know the spacing. They know in general where they're supposed to be, what their options are, and just playing basketball. Um, that sounds pretty simple, but and and certainly there's a time and place for everything else um, to call sets or late game or this or that. And um, but but that's ideally how I'd like things to go.
0: Now uh defensively, I know you like to play both uh, man and zone and uh, but the, as I talked to uh Mitch about it, and the the Princeton guys seem to all gravitate, whether it be Chris Mooney or, to kind of a matchup zone over the years a little bit just and I often said, because you know why, and uh, you know and I ask you why.
1: Yeah, great question. So we do play uh, mostly all matchup zone. We will go man sometimes, but um, and really that hasn't been as much of the Princeton that we did that at Penn State a little bit as well. And, you know, I don't know if it's right or wrong. Again, I'm, I'm scared for some people to look at our defensive numbers on Ken Palm or what have you. So if anybody's listening, uh, <laughs> but but uh, we have been better over the years at, at different times. But when we were at Penn State, we played a matchup zone as well. And a variety of reasons, but I think one of the things again is to try to just be different, right? So sure. when we're at Penn State and we're in the Big Ten. There's an element of hey, if you're going to play Michigan State or Purdue or what have like such good programs, coaches, history, this, that, the other. If Michigan State's running set play or you know pushing transition, running set plays, playing all man to man, and you're going to do the same thing, and they most every you know most years have better talent. I don't think your chances are as great. Um, so how can you even that out? That doesn't mean you can't win by any means. Um, but maybe you win one out of, you know, 10 or whatever that way. But if you can just be different, right? Um, so we, we ended up putting in a matchup zone and running it. Um, we had done a little bit when I played and then over the years tweaked it or whatever. But so there's a little bit of just, Hey, the opposing team Purdue is playing Michigan state and then Ohio state. And then they get to Penn state and they go, Oh wait, we got to play this matchup zone. So uh-huh. yeah. um, that's, that's a large portion of it. Um, it also allows us to trap the post. We're a little bit smaller than other teams. Um, but those are the main ways. And then, you know, teams are such good running offense and, and relative to, you know, talent level rather than chasing them around going all over their set plays and everything the package that we have to defend usually is not as great as some of the things you have to defend man to man, right? Which then sure. in turns That doesn't mean we don't care about our defense, especially if any of our players are listening, but, <laughs> but it in turn allows you to spend some more time on some offensive things, if that if that makes sense.
0: No, I, I think uh, you know like you know, when I was in the NBA Lawrence Frank when he was coaching the Nets had a hundred and thirty two Plays that we scouted him for that he had. Right. 132. And give me your opinion of how many zone offenses a normal college team has.
1: Yeah. Great question. I'd say, you know, zone offenses, probably two, I would say offenses, but then set plays, you know, you might find anywhere between five and eight or something sets. Uh, Yeah. Right.
0: At the high side, right? Yeah. Eight at the high side, I think. Right. Yep. Yep. And, Absolutely. And, and so I think that's a whole lot easier to try to defend. And, you know, a, a, a normal college team could have as many as 30, 40, 50 offensive man-to-man plays.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, again, there, there's no, we we got some problems in our deal, too, right? Sometimes, you know, th- that's the other thing. I, I think I'll say two things. Sometimes we're giving up shots and rebounds, and, and there's a, a bunch of holes in it sure. as well. But um, th- there is the other part of it where – people think, hey, if you play zone, you are going to give up threes or threes to shooters. Um, I don't think it's as extreme as that. Um, you, you can do your best to take away the three-point line a little bit more. Um, it does take some more communication, right? So if we're playing, uh, I don't know, Fletcher McGee from Wofford, and you're guarding him man-to-man, I, I'm stating the obvious, but you may be assigned to him, and you know I have to run him off the line every time. If it's in zone, now it becomes everybody's got to know where he is. So there there are certainly holes in the whole thing but uh but that's some of the reasons we play um,
0: when you yeah when you and i think the matchup you know and i know back in the day the princeton guys were all coming out of a one two two joe scott and them but what do you try to do what's your basic formation to get them to match up
1: yeah it's a great question we play essentially two guards two forwards and a center so Mm -hmm. more traditional but one of the guards kind of stops the ball usually when the ball's in the middle of the floor and then the other one's offset. So at any time it could look like a three, two, right. But we trap down with our forwards a little bit more. So there's different rules. The way the rules go, it's, it's more two guards, two forwards and a center. Um, but uh, this will sound crazy coach, but, but (laughs) when our matchup is at its best and that's, that is one or two years we are at Penn state and when it's better here at VMI or Navy, whatever, um, it's almost like the, the you have rules and everything. You start off that way, but when it's at its best, we don't even know defensively what we're doing, if that, if that makes sense. Like at no. the end of the day, are you guarding a guy, right? So we'll be sitting in the film room sometimes, and it drives some of my assistants crazy because they'll set the, a ball screen one way, they being the other offensive team, and we're defending it. And And one time we'll stay with it and flat it or whatever we're doing, and then the next time down the floor, it's the same alignment, and we'll switch it. And the center will take the the guard coming off, and and he'll push back, and the forward will take the dive guy. And our guy, uh, my coaches are going, "Hey, how do we?" And I'm like, "Ah, it's fine. Like, uh, as long as you're guarding a guy, right?" <laughs> don't worry. Which about. is again kind of crazy. Um, I don't know that it works. That's the, that's the problem. But uh, but that's what we're trying to do.
0: Uh, no, I I love it, and and I think you're right, though. I think the you know after we played you we went in a kind of a bad way and then kind of came out of it yeah uh, and and then we started to it look like a matchup but we never told the kids to match up and then sometimes we, we you know i didn't know what the hell we were doing but damn it was good you know but uh, so i think you know i think that happens in coaching a lot sometimes and but always dan always take credit for it if it works damn it don't always (laughs) there you go right yeah that's the. tell me uh the southern conference i have incredible respect for the teams in that you know uh the coaches in the conference are terrific uh it's an amazing challenge for you and the citadel uh i think in that conference you know uh you know you you were i thought really really competitive this year uh you know what is the biggest thing because you're going against some like east tennessee state i mean and unc greensboro uh firman those guys are monsters in my book you know
1: yeah yeah right. no you're very well and Wofford, said, it,
0: <laughs> it's
1: yeah it, it it's it's been unbelievable really um And it's funny you say that. Again, when I was going through the process of the job interview and and taking the job or what have you, as I was talking to my, again, former boss, Ed DeCellis, he was at ETSU years ago. So... He wasn't born yesterday either, right? So, um, but he was like, Hey, the Southern Conference used to have, um, Davidson and App State and, uh, maybe a few others that were really good programs, right? So he's like, Yeah, they moved out. Maybe you can mess around and win some games, or, you know, a couple games or whatever that <laughs> kind of thing. So, um, and I got into the conference, and I was like, "What is going on? Like, it, it just... Well, it, maybe we're at a high point uh, recently as well. Now, you sure. know, Steph Curry was in the here with Davidson as well, so the, it's always been good. Um, but if you look at the the metrics and everything, the past couple years, it's been absolutely phenomenal. You know, so um, yeah, ETSU, UNCG, and Wofford, especially over the last four, you know, or two or three years, um, have kind of been at the top. Um, but then you're, you know, and I know all conferences are like this, right? Patriot league has unbelievable coaches when I yep. was there and, and styles and, and the big 10 or whatever, but the Southern conference has been ridiculous. So, and a lot of coaches that do a really, really good job, you see different styles of play, uh, which is another thing, um, uh, which is tough. And, um, uh, you know, so it's been tougher than I would have liked, uh, to be honest with you. <laughs>
0: No, I I and 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 you're doing a great job in building this program and uh much kudos to you and uh, it's a real thrill to have you on because uh and you know, I've I have such great respect and uh, you know if if any coaches want to you know you know you you turn on synergy and you watch some teams play and you want to see a team move the ball and stuff and I think you watch your team and and just you're not allowed to watch Stetson versus VMI and <laughs> <Don't> all <like> that <laughs> <laughs> and I was a defensive coordinator that day. I'll, I'll take That's credit right. for that. you know. But, uh, <laughs> Dan, thank you so much, and, uh, and a great, great thrill to have you on.
1: No, thank you, Coach. I, I certainly appreciate it. Like I said, I have great respect for you. and Like I've heard some other coaches uh, on the podcast, I end up listening to a, a ton of the podcasts, and it's usually – when I'm recruiting and heading home, you make some recruiting calls early, and then it gets later at night, and I'm uh, tuning into one of them. So, I love how you teach and share the game. Uh, it's awesome. Thanks for having me.
0: Our pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Wow. I mean, I just love, I just love the way he teaches. I love the way he thinks, and when you see his teams play, you know, you know, so unselfish. They move the ball. They take threes. You know, and they've he's figured out a way to balance off being one of the teams that's playing against four top NCAA caliber teams every year in a tough, tough league. So give yourself an identity, you know, whether it be your matchup zone, whether it be shooting threes, a ball movement style, to make yourselves really competitive. So appreciate Dan Earl at VMI for that. And then again, till next week, this is the coach. We're going to try to keep filling it up for you every week on basketball. So next week, we'll see you.